Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash Lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Lawless. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. While I sympathize with the crew faithful possibly losing their team, I don't have a problem with an owner of a business moving to where he or she feels is a better location. But Anthony Precourt, Don Garber, and MLS owners, this has gone on far enough. For the good of the league and the sport, you need to rip this Band-Aid and make this move official. Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. As you heard, we'll be talking about the situation in Columbus. We'll have our Mossy Makes the Case segment. We'll be answering your questions in our Ask Alexi segment and so much more. But first, as always, joining me, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mr. Mossy, how are you, my friend? I am good. Had a uh, busy weekend with the Bundesliga, but got through it. Also had time, by the way, to uh, go see the new Spike Lee film, Black Klansman, that everybody's talking about. And? Verdict? I, I liked thumbs it. Thumbs up? Thumbs I down? I liked it. Perhaps uh, when you go see it, we'll discuss it on the pod. I know our movie tastes aren't always in sync. We almost came to blows over Dunkirk, but... Uh, <laughs> as, with, as is the case with most movies, I will see this at 37,000 feet at some point in my uh, crisscrossing of our, of our great nation here. Uh, okay, we are back in the saddle uh, in that I am back here at our digital studios here in Playa in Los Angeles after what amounts to about 90 days on the road for me, a little less than 90 days uh, on the road here. I have missed all of you, uh, all of your beautiful faces, and I've missed being able to stare into those beautiful eyes of your mom. But as you can tell by the audio, if you're just getting audio here, uh, we are back. And hopefully for the foreseeable future, this will continue on uh, because it's fun. It's fun to be actually in the same room with the people uh, that work so hard to put this podcast together uh, each and every week. Anything else, Mr. Moss, before we head off into the, uh, the great unknown? No, no great to have you back. I, perhaps after we're done, you can give me the itinerary for the last 90 days. I'm fascinated to hear all the different places you, you were at. And You're it's... not really fascinated, and it's not that <laughs> fascinating. And you were with me for, uh, for, much, uh, for much of it. We've already talked about the, about the uh, summer exploits over in Russia and all that kind of stuff. All right. Without further ado, moving on to uh, the way that we start each and every podcast yes indeed it is time for alexi lawless's state of the union yes indeed it's time for my state of the union where i look at a part of the game from an american perspective and it goes something like this 
The situation with Columbus Crew SC potentially relocating to Austin, Texas was always going to be messy, complicated, and painful. While I sympathize with the crew faithful possibly losing their team, I don't have a problem with an owner of a business moving to where he or she feels is a better location. And it was a shrewd bit of business from Anthony Precourt to buy the crew with an option to move to Austin, a place he obviously wants to be. But make no mistake, MLS owners allowed this to happen. But there are consequences to decisions like this. Anthony Precourt, Don Garber, and MLS owners, you will forever be villains in Columbus. And to others who see this as a betrayal, an insult, and sacrilege. That's why you're facing legal action. But Anthony Precourt, Don Garber, and MLS owners, this has gone on far enough. You're selling season tickets for next year in Columbus while also unveiling a name and logo in Austin. For the good of the league and the sport, you need to rip this Band-Aid and make this move official. This saga has become cruel and unusual punishment for a fan base and a city that has given so much to soccer. If you're going to go, then go. Oh, but before you go, you should buy a USL expansion team for $7 million, and then give it to Columbus. Think of it as a parting gift, a small price to pay for your freedom from Columbus and maybe the legal action. But stop putting off the inevitable and stop creating false hope. The continued mismanagement of this move is just making a bad situation worse. Columbus doesn't deserve this, and nobody does. So, while the MLS version of the crew may not be saved, at least let this team go out with dignity and let the people of Columbus move on. All right, and that is this week's State of the Union. David, uh, you have been following this saga over in Columbus. Uh, we've talked a little bit about this on the podcast, but uh, your initial thoughts as it relates to what I said, agree, disagree, vehemently disagree on any parts of this? Well, first off, the last time we talked about this, we really didn't explain the legal stuff that well, and a couple of people on Twitter took me to task for that. So just to explain, in Ohio, there is this Modell law, which yep. stipulates that if a team uh, accepts public funds and then wants to move, it has to give the city six months notice and has to allow a chance for local buyers to buy the team. And the lawsuit alleges that pre-court and MLS didn't do that properly. So there still is a question over the legality of this move. But for the purposes of this conversation, let's assume they can go and it's a question of should they or should just, just to just to jump in here keep in mind that the decision of this is actually coming in the beginning of september so this is this is going to be resolved hopefully in court one way or the other columbus crew and actually pre-court sports uh argues that they did give six months and they are they are certainly legal and able to uh and to make this move and columbus obviously disagrees and we'll see how that judgment is uh and, and if that judgment has happens uh, at the beginning of uh, september now, I understand what you're saying, that if it makes business sense, uh, he should be allowed to move the team. But you, you would prefer this to be like a once-in-a-while occurrence, right? I mean, you, you do agree that if I'm MLS— i happy about yeah, this. Yeah, if MLS wants to start building tradition, they need to set down some roots in places. Like, if all of a sudden five other franchises decided they wanted to move somewhere different because it made business sense, you would say there's a limit to it, right? I don't even think I, I, I would. I, I look at sports maybe differently than you, and may, maybe others do. Um, you know, if a— uh, I don't know, if, um, if a restaurant moves, could be your favorite restaurant, a restaurant that is near and dear to your heart, a restaurant that you have had times in your life that you will never forget, if it moves someplace else to a better location because the owner believes that that better lo uh, uh, location is better for their business, uh, do they have a moral response? Because right now we're just talking about a moral responsibility, right? Let's, right? I know there's a legal aspect of it, but let's talk about just the moral responsibility as it relates to sports teams. Do you think that there is a different type of responsibility when it comes to a sports team as opposed to, in my, uh, in my compare and contrast, a restaurant or something like that? 
Yeah, I think it's a little different. You know, there's still not that many soccer fans in this country, mm-hmm. so so there's still sort of a niche kind of you know bond that comes with being a soccer fan, uh, and so I think it gives these these MLS teams a little bit more of a community feeling than perhaps the NFL team in that city or NBA. And so uh, I think MLS as a league needs to look at that and think, boy, we're ripping the heart out of of people in these cities. And, and you know, like I said, if you're trying to build tradition, you know, you don't want too much of this stuff going on. I think you do want to lay down some roots in certain places. And absolutely, you do. And I, it's not a good thing. It's not a good thing to move teams ever. But you know, a couple of things. Number one, I also should say that uh, I did talk to uh, folks on background uh, at the Columbus Crew. Um, and when it comes to the fact, as I mentioned, the State of the Union, they are selling season tickets. Uh, they made it clear that this is a contractual obligation that they have with their season ticket holders. Doesn't necessarily mean that it's right, but uh, I just wanted to make sure that people uh, that people understood that. As it as it relates to teams moving from one city to another, I think that this, if this does happen, if this does come to fruition. It puts incredible pressure on Anthony Precourt to make this work. Because if you're going to do this, and certainly in the way that they have done it, as I said before, I think that this has been mismanaged from the start. And I think that they would admit that. I haven't talked to them, so I don't know exactly. But I would believe that they, if they had to do things differently, they would have. But this has been mismanaged from the start. But ultimately, I don't think that you're ever going to see a new team, an expansion team, a relocated team, whatever we want to call this, if it happens in Austin, with more pressure to succeed because of the background, because of that uh, history. And ultimately, let's say five years from now, Austin is another Atlanta. Is that good for Columbus? No. Is it good for, you, you mentioned the soccer people and soccer in general. Yeah, you would say that that, that that is good and that Columbus had to sacrifice in this is never going to be good. It is scorched earth when it comes to Major League Soccer if this happens in Columbus. And there are others out there, as I mentioned, that will look at Major League Soccer, that will look at uh, Anthony Precourt, that will look at Don Garber, that will look at MLS owners, as I said, as those villains. And by the way, they all knew that they were going to be villains. You, you, you get into this understanding that they're going to make decisions that aren't going to be popular, and at times you're going to be uh, looked at as uh, villains. And rightfully so, because you are taking something away from that community. And that the Columbus crew has meant something that, to that community. The Columbus crew has been part of that culture, part of that community, part of multiple generations now. Uh, from a soccer perspective, is it has raised and fostered and nurtured a generation of soccer players and soccer fans. And... That this is normal in sports in the United States is something that I, that I oftentimes mention, but in no way am I expecting the people of Columbus to feel that this is good or right or normal or to even accept it, which is why I support you know, Save the Crew. I, I want, if they can save them, great. But I also look at sports, and I always have, as businesses. And while they might be incredibly uh, uh, near and dear to my heart and they might elicit passion and emotion um, and moments in your life that you associate with them, I always have looked at sports as this is potentially there. And keep in mind when we mentioned this, this, uh, this clause about moving to Austin, in reality, every sports team in North America has the option to move because we've seen it in every sports team. So in reality, everybody has a clause in there that allows them to relocate. Now you have to have buy-in from the league and you have to have buy-in from the owners, but the potential for your sports team, if you are a fan of that team in North America, for it to move exists. Everybody understands that. Everybody that understands the history existed. Does it mean it's right when it moves? Not necessarily. 
Now, you mentioned MLS was scorched earth in Columbus. The Cleveland Browns example I mentioned, Art Modell sure. earlier, they eventually let them relocate to Baltimore, who, by the way, had lost an NFL team a generation earlier, the Colts. They let Art Modell relocate to Baltimore, but more or less promised Cleveland that you were going to get a, a new team soon after. And, and two, three years later, they gave Cleveland an expansion team, which they called the Browns. They had still retained the rights to the, the name and the colors and all that. So essentially, everybody views that as an extension of the previous team there. Uh, could there be a similar arrangement here or, or no? There could, but does somebody have to pay a, did, did somebody in that case pay an expansion fee? in that situation because somebody's going to have to pay an expansion fee because that is the structure that has created Major League Soccer. You can agree with it or disagree with it, okay, but you can't deny the fact that that is the structure and that is the business plan of Major League Soccer in terms of the expansion fee. So, so, so for example, people talk about Columbus should be sold. Anthony Precourt should sell the Columbus crew. All right, but what is he selling right now? So he's selling what in the current market an MLS team costs. And let's just say it's $150 million or, or whatever. Even a team in Columbus, which we recognize as a different market um, than New York or, or something like that. But even if that's the going rate right now. But he's not just selling that. He's also selling potential lost revenue that he would that, that he would and his company would get by going to Austin. So what is the price tag on that when people talk uh, about selling it? So if, if, if uh, Columbus moves to Austin, if an MLS team were to come back to Columbus, there would still have to be an expansion fee paid. You're saying waive that expansion fee, and if, the, and, if and when Columbus gets their, their ducks in a row for an MLS team to return, waive that and just have them come in because they are, what, grandfathered in because they're one of the originals? No, yeah, I guess I haven't. I didn't think it through that far, but <laughs> if, if 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 they can get all the logistics to work, uh, do you think they'd be accepting of of an MLS another MLS team going there a few I, years later, or they're just going to be so annoyed at this whole thing that they're going to check out on MLS as a city? And oh and, no, I think people will check out on MLS from a Columbus crew from a Columbus standpoint, and and rightfully so. If you rip their team away a team that has been there for twenty years, you can't expect them to continue to buy your product. Uh, you're, you're being disingenuous and dumb if you think that that is going to happen. There will still be people, and, and Ohio is still going to have soccer, and Ohio is going to actually have MLS soccer coming. But that, the Columbus part, that's why it's scorched earth. But in the future, once again, if this, if this market is so good, then somebody's going to recognize it as a potential windfall, as a potential good business uh, investment, and bring MLS back to Columbus. Will MLS owners look at Columbus and say, hey, we just didn't get it right back then, but it's still a market that we think that can be successful? Keep in mind that they're going to put it up against other markets, and Columbus is going to have to play that game of showing why people think that Columbus can be much more successful coming back in a different MLS incarnation uh, in the future. And I don't know if they're going to be able to, uh, to do that. But once again, if Columbus is so good, then somebody's going to recognize it for the value or the potential value that it has and, and find, a way, uh, find a way to do that. And by the way, you, you talked about the Modell uh, law and, and the lawsuits going on right now. If, and I talked about this in the stadium, there are consequences to decisions. And if it's Anthony Precourt and Major League Soccer, if they have to pay, and if from a legal perspective they are responsible for, uh, for this situation and they are ordered to pay, they will have to pay. And if there are legal, legal ramifications, uh, they should be held accountable for things if they did violate the, uh, the law in any way, and they're going to have to go forward. The other ramifications are if this type of thing, because I've heard a lot of this is, 
this is leading to the downfall of Major League Soccer. If that's the case, you know, you're going to live and die by it. And that's what MLS owners have, at least from the outside perspective, in my estimation, have agreed to. They believe that this is good for their product uh, and for their business. And their business is a soccer league. It's not everybody's soccer league. People don't all agree with what it is, but they believe that this is good and they are going to allow this to happen. And if it does, they, there are going to be consequences, good or bad. Like I said, five years from now, Austin could be going gangbusters and everybody's uh, going crazy about what's happening there and they're getting great crowds and wonderful sponsorship and, and all that. Does that make their product, which is Major League Soccer, better? You would think so. But if this is something that turns off not just people in Columbus but people all over North America because they don't feel that they have a commitment and an allegiance to a team that can move, albeit because it's historically that's what happens, but then people might, might, might not do it, then the product will suffer and MLS will go away, which is why I always say build a better mousetrap. This is the mousetrap that they have built. It's working for them. If the customer doesn't like it going forward, then the market will decide that. I can't believe, by the way, as a Michigan man, that I'm defending Columbus, Ohio here. I have to take a shower after this podcast. But uh, we'll end on this lighter note. Uh, what did you think of the Austin FC name and logo and, and colors and all that? I like clean and simple. Uh, I don't like FC. I think it's affected. Uh, I understand why the whole FC thing is happening because these are, these are brands that want to resonate not just domestically but internationally. Uh, there is a comfort level. There is an attachment to authenticity and being genuine when you say FC, especially when you have an audience that maybe isn't as educated when it comes to the sport. Uh, you, you look authentic. Not for me, but I understand why they do it. And, the, and, and make no mistake, these are brands that want to resonate not just in their market, but all over the world. That's, you know, that whole super club type of con concept that I've talked about for so many years, even an Austin team. So I, I like the aesthetic of it because I think it's simple. Um, you know, hashtag the Oaks or whatever we're going we're, we're gonna to call this. I thought it was interesting, and this happens because I've gone through a, a rebrand, so I've gone through branding, and this happens immediately. People are, are automatically going to associate and say, well, you just stole from this, and you, uh, you know, this is just a ripoff from, from all this kind of stuff. First off, whether it's the TIFO in Columbus or uh, anything over in Portland, uh, th they did not invent using a tree as symbolism or roots <laughs> as symbolism out there, okay? And you need, you need only go back and look at literature and art and everything, everything like that. So uh, the fact that this is a tree, um, and the fact that there are plenty of symbols out there and brands out there that use this uh, doesn't, in my in my eyes, lessen it any uh, anymore. And I don't think that because um, I know there was uh, the, the Columbus folks thought that Anthony Precourt in doing this was was trolling because you know he's 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 using a symbol that evidently the Columbus crew at times have used. No, I think it was. I think it's simple. I think it's clean. I think it resonates. I was pleasantly surprised by it. And there's times where I'm where I'm not surprised. I don't like the FC, and I will not like the FC for as long as it continues to be used by them or any other team. What about you? You like you like the logo? Yeah, the logo is fine. I I agree with you. The FC thing is to live. It's played out, much. right? It's played out. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, this is not going away. As we said, the uh, legal ramifications of this are possibly going to be decided at the beginning of uh, September. And if, if uh, Anthony Precourt and MLS and the Columbus crew, uh, 
I guess, win, if, if, if that's the right word, then uh, this is going to happen to Austin, Texas. If, it, if they don't, then who knows? Uh, because the alternative possibly is you shut down operations. Um, and I don't think anybody wants that, which is why I talked about this $7 million gift of a USL team to the city of Columbus, and they can do with what they want. They can run a team, uh, run a USL team. Uh, they could sell it on. They could flip it if they, if they wanted to somebody. We talked about somebody possibly seeing that market as, as a place where they could do something. If somebody comes in and buys it from the city of Columbus as a USL team and then brings it to fruition uh, and reemerges as an MLS team, who knows? All this kind of stuff could happen. And I know other people out there that are listening and saying, yes, but you didn't mention this. And yes, but you failed to recognize this. This, uh, we're not in the weeds here, but this is, a, as I mentioned the State of Union, this is a complicated issue. There are a lot of things going on right, uh, right now, and it's an emotional issue, as it should be. This is a team that has been there for 20 years. I want to make very, very clear, I'm not happy about this move, but I am also, and we talked about you know, business, and I, I know I call these businesses, and I know maybe I look at it from a different perspective than others do. And I can have sympathy for the people in Columbus, but since I have never been in this type of situation and, and been in their position in their shoes, I can't have empathy, but I can sympathize with them. I can imagine what it's like to be in their, uh, in their shoes. But listen, agree, disagree, yell at me, uh, and plenty have already. Um, that's, what, uh, that's what we do here. So we look forward to your comments regarding this and everything uh, that we discuss on the show. All right, moving on. Mossy makes the case. Okay, it's time for Mossy Makes the Case, uh, that time in the show when David Mossy uh, picks something out of the soccer air and lets us know what he's thinking. All right, what are you thinking about today, Mossy? My case is that the Neymar-Mbappe dynamic will be one of the more fascinating subplots in Europe this season. Uh, let me preface this by saying I know the league means nothing for PSG. It's all about the Champions League, but just to give context of what's gone on so far this season, three wins out of three in Ligue 1. They beat Angers 3-1 this weekend. Neymar and Mbappe both scored. They each have three goals already this season. They've assisted each other. They have a great understanding on the field. They get along well off the field. Every clip you see of training is them goofing around with each other. They praise each other in the media. So on the surface, everything's fine. But uh, those of us that follow that team closely, there is a discernibly different vibe this season. Last season, that was Neymar's team. Mbappe was the sidekick. Uh, this season, it is every bit as much Mbappe's team as Neymar's. He is the fan favorite. People that go to the games will tell you, you see as many Mbappe jerseys as Neymar's. You walk around their facilities, you see pictures of Mbappe everywhere. You walk around that city, you see billboards of him. Earlier this summer, Real Madrid was sniffing around Mbappe, and a French journalist said, we'd rather sell you the Eiffel Tower. So he is <laughs> the man of the moment right now. And you do wonder, because one of the reasons Neymar left Barcelona is because he wanted to be the man. He wanted, quote-unquote, his own team to try to lead to uh, a Champions League title. So as Mbappe's star continues to rise, how is he going to feel about having to share the spotlight and perhaps even be overshadowed by a 19-year-old on his own team? So I think it's something that bears watching, and Thomas Tuchel is going to have to manage. Now, before we get into the chat, let me just say one thing. The way they acquired Mbappe was a little bit weird. It was a loan deal for a year with an obligation to buy this summer for 180 million euros. There's still a lot of questions about that deal and whether they're in compliance with financial fair play. UEFA is supposed to rule on that in the next couple of days. The Madrid media is very hot on this story because they actually think there's an outside chance UEFA might void the Mbappe deal, send him back to Monaco, and then Real Madrid would presumably buy him. Uh, but more than likely, it's either going to be a slap on the wrist, a fine, or they could ban him from the Champions League for a season, which would be a big deal. But so by the time you hear this, 
this podcast, there might be some news on that. But for the purposes of this chat, let's assume he's on the team this season. They're in the Champions League and all that. So how do you see this whole Neymar Mbappe dynamic? Okay, so my, my first question is, can you be the man at PSG? And, and what I mean by that is when we talk about the man, and when we're talking about Neymar being the man, it was before it was relative to, to Barcelona. So if Mbappe were to go to Real Madrid or something like that, being the man at Real Madrid, even in 2018, is very different than being the man at PSG. So, you know, ultimately, I think, I think though, I mean, this is World Cup winning Kylian Mbappe, right? <laughs> you know, you think you think Neymar when uh, they first met in the locker room after the summer came up and congratulated him on the World Cup. Well, I'm Ooh. sure he did, but but their first home game, Mbappe like did did a whole thing in the stadium where right. he, he paraded around the World Cup trophy, and, and it was a little bit awkward. Neymar standing what, there. What, when, when people say I want to be the man, because we use that phrase often, what does that mean to you? Well, to, of, to, of a team, I mean, what to 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 have feel like the team is built around you, and you're the star of it, and 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 if 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 they go on to win the Champions League, that he would be the one to derive most of the glory from that. Uh, I don't think that's going. That's well, but, the case but how does anymore. that manifest? I don't understand. I mean, you, you're the first one off the bus, or you're the captain. Yeah, no, it's an, or, it's an intangible I mean, I don't thing. Think, I, I don't think Mbappe wants to be captain or, or or needs to be captain at this point. Nor nor is he going. And, to. And be. he's still, by the way, in, he's handled this great. He's incredibly deferential towards Neymar. He went out and said, "No, no, he's he's better than me. He's the true superstar on this team. Everything he did at Barcelona, I still have a long way to go right. to get to his level." I don't necessarily agree with that, and I'm the biggest Neymar fan on the planet, but it shows you where how this kid has such a head on his shoulder yeah. that he realizes that's the tact he needs to take right now, you know, but I, I think it's an interesting dynamic. I don't think, I don't think it's as, uh, well, I guess it's potentially problematic. I don't think it's problematic right now, but I guess it is potentially problematic, but if he is such a humble kid and recognizes that he's still young, maybe he's just, you know playing coy and, uh, <laughs> and um, biding his time. Yeah, and it's interesting. We talk about it from an intangible level, egos. Uh, you know, tactically, it's interesting to see how compatible are they. And and Thomas Tuchel this weekend, and by the way, these are things you do when you're bored, when you're at PSG. Pep was the same way at Bayern. He started playing around with different formations because right. you, you have to figure out a way to, like, entertain yourself from right. week to week. So he unveiled this new, like, 3-4-1-2 formation where Neymar was the one. Neymar, if you've watched him the last couple of years, he's nominally a left winger, but he likes to spend a lot of time in the middle of the field and function as a playmaker and have everything run through him. And so Tuchel's decided, if that's where you want to play, I'm just going to make you a number 10. And, and then Mbappe played alongside Cavani. And, and I, actually, it, it, it worked out well. Like, Neymar seemed to really relish that role and just spraying passes around. And Mbappe, he, this is going to be great for him because when he burst on the scene with Monaco, that's where he played alongside Falcão. And I would argue that as good as he's been over the last year, he's actually been played out of position for club and country as a right winger. It's been kind of restrictive. And, and in this formation, he gets to play closer to goal and to float around. And so I think So you prefer him in the middle? Yes, okay. yeah. So I think he's going to have a monster season and flourish in this formation if that's what Tuchel does. So it's something to keep an eye on. But th- this, to me, is the best one-two punch in Europe right now. Uh, in this era of the Super Club, they're the one team right now, and they might have done it by illegal means. Wafer will have to rule on that. But uh, that's been able that has like right now two superstars that are like top five player in the world caliber player. I know people hate Neymar so much that they can't even 
look at him objectively, but I still think on his best day, he's a top five player in the world. And Mbappe, I still get people, amazingly enough, that push back on me on Twitter when I try to talk him up. I mean, people don't see Ooh, what's happening. Wait, who hates Neymar? Who pushes back on Mbappe? What, well, what's the, what's the, well, what's the, the push? Well, the Mbappe thing, I mean, you still get, when you're ranking players, you still get people to bring up, you know, Salas and Lewandowski's and Hazards. And to me, this is something on a whole different level that's happening here. To me, he's like a transcendent, generational, like, messy, Ronaldo, Pele, Maradona level player. But can he be at PSG? Well, that, that's a question. There's a school of thought that both those guys are kind of wasting away right. years at PSG and they need to go play in a better league. So there, there's an argument to be made there. But I, I can still watch a guy play against lesser competition and still and sort of take that into account. My brain can sort of process that and I can still uh, determine like what level of talent we're watching. And I, I just think he's about the most incredible thing I've seen in in Well, as far as that, that wonderful brain of yours and, and uh, the way that you watch this game, yes. would you actually prefer if if the financial fair play had been violated and he does go back and then ultimately ends up in Real Madrid? Would you rather, would you rather watch Mbappe playing for PSG or playing for Real Madrid? Great question. I think PSG. Really? Uh, I, yeah, I, I like the idea of him and Neymar on this. I like having sort of two geniuses that come. Some of the some of the the one twos they mm-hmm. play in traffic is, is just absolutely breathtaking. So, like I said, they're the one team that's been able to join two players of that level together on the same team, and I love watching it week to week. I know it's against lesser competition, and you do find yourself, you know, league always taking a step back and being like, ugh. But you know, against this team, you know, how much can you read into this? But it's still absolutely breathtaking uh, to watch them play together. So PSG is winning Champions League then. It's- is what you're saying. Well, you know, we're going to get to transfers. Uh, I think they still have one or two things they need to get done. By the way, the other potentially awkward situation there is that goalkeeper. Buffon has started the first three games. He left him out. He started Ariola. And the thing he's hiding behind is that Buffon is suspended for the first three Champions League games because of that red card he picked up in that crazy right, Real Madrid right. Juventus deal. And so Tuchel said, well, I need Ariola to be sharp for those games. But then he said, we'll see after that. So he's not committing to one guy or the other being his starter this season. Imagine Gigi Buffon going there at 40 years of age and having to be a backup to Alphonse Areola. So that's a potentially weird situation there to keep an eye on too. But uh, wow, so you're all in on PSG though. Well, but this but this is good from a from a playing standpoint, from a, uh, a narrative standpoint. There's all sorts of stuff uh, when it comes to PSG. Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't I don't really have a team. I just follow the Brazilians. But to the extent that I have a team, I guess it's PSG right now. So I'm and why are people? You said also that uh, people push back to you. Uh, on uh, on Neymar? Is it just because of the diving type of stuff or no, is it just I, the personality? I, I mean, I, actually, you know, if you go back, this is my very first Mossy Makes the Case back in February. Remember about how hated Neymar had become? And I think that was borne out during the World Cup. I think he's the great villain of world football right now. I mean, if you see on Twitter, anybody mentions Neymar but, in any context, invariably but, oh, you get showered stop, with... Stop, but, and, but and, that, and, hate, uh, that hate doesn't keep people from putting them in their top five. Oh, though. absolutely. Really? I, I hear some the hate cra- drives I, that? I, I hear some crazy stuff these days and players they try to put above them that's preposterous. Give me a give me a throw a name. Well, give me a give me a name that's Sadio Mane's and people like that. Over Neymar. <laughs> and um who, who are you interacting but, but, with? But, over know, there? but okay, you know what? I can I, I think Neymar's clearly one of the best players in the world, but I could even plausibly have a conversation about that. The Mbappe thing is what amazes me that when whenever I throw out these oh this guy is a generational player, he's gonna be an all time great there are people on Twitter that push back at me that don't seem to appreciate what they're seeing. I mean, even at Fox over the last year, I was pulling my hair out when we were doing segments, ranking players, or talking about who we should promote for the World Cup. We did all that big four nonsense. I kept saying Mbappe, 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 and I, it was, nobody listened to me. And how did that work out, Alexa? Wow. 
uh, <laughs> that worked out great. Yeah. I, I do appreciate the fact of uh, all the hard work that the men and women uh, put into that, uh, you know, to our broadcast and, and to our production that you encapsulated down to a bunch of nonsense. So that's, uh, <laughs> that's, that's always good. All right, before we go then, uh, then I want your top five then. If, and, and Neymar and Mbappe are in your top five then. So who, who, how do you round it out? Who's, who's five, four, three, two, and one then? Uh, I'd have to think about the order, but obviously Messi, Ronaldo, Neymar, Mbappe would be four, and then... That's uh, Ayamani, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know you're a big Salah guy. O- off the season he's had, and he's off to a good start this season, it, you you could talk me into well, Salah Well, don't do it begrudgingly. I mean, you're just kind of an I, I, afterthought I, 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 from I, I, I gotta uh, throw Salah. you a bone every once in a while, Alexi. I gotta throw you a bone every once in a while. Right, I'll right. put Mo Salah in my top five. All right, to well, maybe we'll we'll figure that out, and we'll put that out. You know, your top five and my top five. That's all the top top. Well, really, things. we haven't run that gimmick into the ground no, yet? No, no, no. It's it's evergreen, my man. It's evergreen. Uh, all right. Well, that's our Mossy Makes the Case segment for this week. As always, you can hit uh, David up on Twitter uh, and Facebook and uh, scream at him, agree, disagree, do all that kind of stuff. All right, moving on. Ask Alexi. Okay, it's time for our Ask Alexi segment, that portion of the show where we take questions and comments uh, from social media with the Ask Alexi hashtag. And as always, uh, make sure you include that hashtag because you never know, as you're about to hear, who knows, maybe someday David Mossy will be reading your question or your comment on the State of the Union. All right, what do the folks want to know this week, Mossy? All right, first up, at Camden13, do you think the Messi-Ronaldo discussion will be closed if Ronaldo takes Juventus to the UCL final since your argument is the... He's the best to do it in multiple places. Oh, nice. Well, first off, I want to thank uh, Camden, is it? Is that, is that who it is? Okay. Correct. Uh, I'd like to, if that's his name or her name, I'd like to thank Camden uh, because he or she is obviously a listener of the show because they are referencing something that we have talked about in the past. And if you haven't heard, I value players more that have done well at multiple uh, teams in different locations, and even more so if they are different leagues and different, uh, different countries. And I do think... Um, there is a value to a player being able to adjust and adapt as has Cristiano Ronaldo as opposed to someone like Messi who I'm not denying the fact that he's going to go down as one and arguably the greatest player in the world but he has certainly been in this cocoon of La Masia and uh, Barcelona that has enabled him to flourish and surrounded him with some incredible players. So with that said, yes, uh, the answer is yes. If uh, Ronaldo comes in, and although his team has won twice, he has yet to score. But don't worry, he'll, he'll, he's going to score plenty of goals. I don't think that's going to be a problem. But if he were to take Juventus to a Champions League final, uh, let alone uh, you know win a Champions League final or something like that, I think the debate would be done and dusted. As far as as far as I am I am concerned, because um, because of the fact that. I just think that he's better, and the reason why is that value that I put on doing things well in multiple places. Would you agree or disagree? Yeah, I mean, he already has Messi on that score. I would argue on paper right now, Ronaldo has a, has already has a better career than Messi. Uh, if you if you prefer Messi, it has to be my argument of just the eye test of watching these guys play day in, day out, and just liking Messi's game better, more and thinking he's a better player. But yeah, certainly if he has success with Juventus, that would only enhance that argument. Of what, it, of, so you, you like... Just just from your eye test, which one do you like better? I like Messi better, but I recognize that the fact that Ronaldo did it in two leagues... Well, don't is qualify. A, you like Messi better. So why do you like Messi better? Well, we've talked about it. I just the like his game plays. better. Yeah, the way he plays. But no, I, I think Ronaldo keeps You're helping... You're left-footed too, right? <laughs> I'm not left-footed. It's well, funny. I don't know. When <laughs> I played, you used the left foot a lot when I played uh, pick-up with you. All right. Um, All right. What else we got? At Get Comeuppance, uh, would you expect Joseph Martinez to play in a top European league within a year? 
Uh, okay. I don't, is their first name Get and their last name Comeuppance? Or, uh, all right, Get. <laughs> um, or Mr. or Mrs. Comeuppance. Would I expect Joseph Martinez? Uh, Joseph Martinez, by the way, congratulations from the State of the Union to uh, Atlanta United's Joseph Martinez, becoming the single-season goal-scoring leader all-time with, what, eight games to go uh, as, of, uh, as of this broadcast. Uh, the dude just completely shattered the record that was held by, uh, by three people, Roy Lasseter, uh, Bradley Wright Phillips, and uh, Chris Wondolowski at 27. So the dude is scoring goals. He is worth the price of admission. Now keep in mind that Joseph Martinez has had a stint in Europe, uh, playing over in Italy and playing for uh, Torino, right? Um, Correct. And as many people, including my friend uh, Matt Doyle, the armchair analyst over there who I spent some time with over the weekend, will will talk about is that he was, as far as he's concerned and as far as many concerned, played out of position. But it really comes down to uh, the circumstances and your surroundings and your comfort. We talk so much at times about out of the comfort zone, and there is a time and place to have players out of their comfort zone, but there's also something to be said for creating an environment that enables them to flourish and putting them in positions to succeed and, and putting them in comfort zone. And I think that's what Tata Martino and this Atlanta team has done. I think he recognizes that he has a really good thing going right now. That doesn't mean, and I think our own Stuart Holden last night reported that there certainly is interest. And when you got a guy scoring goals the way he is, you're going to have interest from people that want to be able to harness that for their team. But once you start taking a player out and putting them in a new environment, it, it can, especially a goal scorer, where you know goal scorers, they, they rely on things going right and feel and all that kind of stuff, it can be it can be problematic. Would you expect to see him? I think, I got a feeling that he is going to want to stay and will stay with Atlanta, as opposed to someone like Almiron, his teammate, who I think is, is going to go and I think is going to go for a high fee. I think that he recognizes that he has got it good. He's got a really good thing in Atlanta that enables him to obviously score goals, but also they're going to pay him money. I, mean, I was talking, you know, you got guys like Josie or, or Michael Bradley up there in Toronto making $6 million a year. I mean, what is, jo- uh, what, what is Joseph Martinez worth to Atlanta in this type of climate? I mean, if anybody should be making $6 million a year, it should be him. And Atlanta certainly has the money. So they're going to make him, if he stays, a very, very rich man. And he is going to be able to be in an environment that, by all accounts, he and his significant others and, and family, if he has it, uh, would enjoy. And so... I don't see that happening unless something ridiculous comes. And not just ridiculous in terms of money, but also ridiculous in terms of destination. If a huge club comes in with a ridiculous offer, it might turn his head. But um, I do think that he is smart enough to know that this Atlanta thing, he can ride this for a while. At SoCrispy86, I'm curious on your thoughts about Aaron Johansson. He's still relatively young and had a smaller time with the team. When you talk about throwing the baby out with the bathwater, is he in the same group with Dempsey and Altidore? I'm torn. I'm torn on Aaron Johansson because, yes, I have my uh, bathwater theory, as those that listen uh, will know, where this is a seminal moment, a moment of change, a moment of profound change, a moment where you need to throw out the players and the stench of failure that uh, that marks many of them. And in doing so, you recognize that you're going to throw out some talent that could continue, but you make a, a clear 
line in the sand and say, no, this is done and we're starting with a whole new core and a whole new generation that isn't burdened from the past. And now it doesn't apply to guys like Christian Pulisic and some other guys out there. When it comes to uh, Aaron Johansson, we have yet to see the best of him. We've seen glimpses and certainly this is a, a player who has been injury prone. I, I can be persuaded that he doesn't get thrown out with the bathwater, but I'm leaning towards, no, we've, we've moved on from the Aaron Johansson era. Um, and so, no. That is it. All right. Uh, that is our Ask Alexi segment. As always, you can get uh, to us with that hashtag, Ask Alexi. Send them on through. And as I said, someday David Mossy will be reading your question on air uh, here at the State of the Union. All right, moving on. The back three. Okay, we're coming down to the end here, and as always, we have our back three, our biggest stories and our games and moments. Mossy, what are our back three have for us this week? All right, the the U.S. friendly against Brazil is approaching. The U.S. has yet to name a roster. Our producer Alex Dowd had an absolute howler this week. He neglected to include the Bundesliga's opening weekend in our rundown, so I'm going to bail him out. <laughs> we're going to discuss the U.S. roster through the lens of the Sucks Bundesliga's not to have a mic over there, does it? opening oh, weekend. Man. Well, you know, he hasn't had Francis around. He's like a mafia boss that hasn't had his consigliere around to, to you know, <laughs> bounce ideas off of. So it, it showed, but, but she's back now and everything will hopefully improve. John Brooks and Fabian Johnson both scored this past weekend for their respective clubs. Where do they fit into this whole uh, throwing the baby out with the bathwater? Would you be okay seeing John Brooks or Fabian Johnson on this roster against Brazil? Maybe Brooks. Yeah, maybe Brooks. I, I still haven't flushed it out completely, <laughs> the baby in the bathwater thing. And as I've said, I, I recognize that you're going to throw out some quality talent that maybe in the short term can give you something. But I, I really like the, the recognition that this is a time of massive and fundamental change, and that should be reflected in the players that you have. I, I do think Brooks is young enough, and I think... Not young enough, but I think... He's still stained, but 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 I think he can get over that stain. Yeah, he at uh, Wolfsburg beat Schalke, so that was a John yeah. Brooks Weston McKinney duel. You have another American versus American duel coming up Friday. Uh, Hanover against Dortmund. Bobby Wood will be eligible for that game. He was suspended the opening weekend, and obviously Pulisic. Pulisic is going to be interesting this season because I think he might essentially be competing with Jaden Sancho for one spot. It's, I think it's going to be a four-three-three with Royce and mm-hmm. then a center forward, and then at least he was one active more. though in the game this uh, weekend. I though? thought he played well, but then Sancho came in at the end and assisted Royce for a goal. So, and I love Sancho too. So that's listen. There are lineups where Royce could play down the middle and they could both play on the wings. Yeah, Lucien Favre could get frisky and play four, uh, you know, Sancho, Pulisic, Royce, and a center forward, Max Philippe, or whoever they bring in, Paco Alcacer it's going to be. So th- that bears watching. But uh, let me ask you a question that, uh, since we're on the American yeah. Bundesliga tip here, we had a doubleheader on uh, Sunday that featured two American coaches as assistants, Steve Trundolo at Stuttgart right. and Jesse Marsh at Leipzig. They mm-hmm. both lost, incidentally. Mm-hmm. But I posed this to our talent. Uh, it was Warren Barton, Ian Joy, and Jovan Karofsky, and they started arguing with each other about it. There was some genuine disagreement here. If you were a Bundesliga club and you were hiring a manager tomorrow and you had your choice between those two, Trundolo or Jesse Marsh, guy who's never been a manager before but has been in Germany for many years, knows the culture inside out, versus Jesse Marsh, who just arrived but has had success as a manager somewhere else. Who would you go with? Trundle. Trundle, no doubt about it. It's not even a question. I think Jesse Marsh is a great coach, and I think he'd do fine. But if you have somebody internal that's already been there and understands it, look, in in, in the same way that, that, you know, I believe an MLS coach should be the national team coach. 
um, or, uh, or or at the very least, a coach who is coaching here in the United States and understands. So, yeah, I mean, Steve Terundolo understands. He's got nuance. He's got history that I think gives him a better understanding than somebody coming from the outside. I think that's that's logical. And that's that's nothing against the quality of of Jesse Marsh, but they're both young. They are both, you know, well, in, in Trundle's case, he's only been an assistant coach. Jesse Marsh has been a head coach, so he has an advantage there. But it's not enough, I think, for to to trump the fact that Steve Trundle has been in and ingrained in that culture and that sport that I think gives him a better uh, chance. Uh, last Bundesliga-related thing, Josh Sargent doesn't look like he's going to play much anytime soon. He for played the Bremen's. under 23s this week? Yeah, he's going to play youth yeah. level. Does that bother you at all? No. But he still should be getting called up regularly for the U.S. team. He's still... Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure he's a starter for the U.S. team, but you know, the fact that he is playing, uh, albeit at a, at a, uh, a younger level, yeah, I'm, I'm still okay. Now, that can't go on forever. you got to make that transition at a, at, a, at a certain point, and I hope that he's doing things in order to put himself first and foremost in front of uh, uh, the first team possibility. But, yeah, I'm, I'm okay with that. He's still young enough. Uh, let me go back to just real quick to, uh, to Jesse Marsh because I also worked Bundesliga in the opening uh, game on Friday, and we aired a little bit of Ian Joy's interview with Jesse Marsh, and I thought it was fascinating, and we'll try to put up the, the clip um, because at one point in the interview, they shifted to what MLS meant to Jesse Marsh as a player, as a coach, and as a per- person. And it was really interesting to hear him talk and the pride that he felt and the responsibility that he felt. And he was talking like players talk about when they go over to Europe. You know, there's this frontier. And Jesse Marsh made very clear that he had never played over in Europe. And so this was something that he had his sights on and wanted to do for the experience, for the adventure. But he also recognized that he is a product of American soccer, whether it's collegiately at Princeton, uh, whether it's MLS as a player and MLS as a coach. And he took great pride in that, but also recognized that he, that he had a responsibility to do well. And I just thought it was really interesting. We'll try to put that up. The whole, the whole interview is interesting to hear him going through this process with a new language and a new coach and an interim type of situation when it comes to the head coach. Uh, so a really fascinating adventure that I think is going to make Jesse Marsh a better person and certainly a better coach. All right, next topic, the Premier League. Uh, we should say we're taping this on a Monday. The, yes. the big game of this round has yet to occur. It's uh, Manchester United against Tottenham. So by the time you hear this, that match will have happened, but obviously we can't talk about it. But uh, the big story this weekend, Manchester City dropped points away to Wolves, but uh, they were really hard done by, by the officiating. Uh, the Wolves' goal was a handball. Man City should have had a penalty. All plays that I think VAR would have definitely gotten right. And it's amazing to me that like the announcers like aren't even bringing up VAR during games. It's like everybody in England just decided to like have their head oh, in the I'm sand. I'm sure they've and, been like, told, don't, <laughs> don't draw attention to England, the fact. But it's, but it's what we're saying, right? Every single time something happens, it's in the context of a VAR world that we all live in. And, and, and because of the summer, because of the World Cup, even English fans live in it now. And so immediately it clicks on, oh, it's VAR. And 
that's that's a problem. That's a problem for the EPL. I, I don't think they're going to change it now, and you know, they'll they'll come to it late. But we're seeing obviously the the leagues that are now well into their second, some into more of of VAR. We're seeing that Champions League came out this week and talked about the possibility of uh, of them including VAR, and also some of the challenges given you know the, the different locations and you know, the financial part of it and all that kind of stuff. But it we are living in a VAR world, and if you are not living in that VAR world you suffer. There's nothing quaint. There's nothing romantic anymore about not having VAR. Yeah, no, I agree. So uh, so City drop points, uh, Liverpool, Chelsea, and Watford are the three teams with perfect records right now. I mean, Watford I saw coming, but Liverpool and Chelsea? No. Um, Arsenal finally got their first win. Uh, they beat West Ham. Uh, one, one note on that, Felipe Anderson was absolutely fantastic in this game for West Ham, but his team is awful. They're going to have a terrible season. Hopefully he has enough games like this and some smart coach of a top six team recognizes it and buys him next summer. That's what I'm hoping for. He's a big favorite of mine, <laughs> but that move to West Ham was just uh, very questionable. But so, so Arsenal back on track. Unai Emery, they pick up their first win. Are you... Uh, Feeling buying good about that? <laughs> am I buying it? I mean, it's Arsenal. They, they, you know, they. It was. It's a. It's always amazing to watch Twitter and then just or to be with people and see the arc of of an Arsenal game. You know, it's it's that 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 sinking feeling as it goes. Uh oh, here we go, and uh, and we got problems, and Emery out, or it's just uh, Wenger point two or whatever it ends up being, and then they start scoring, and then well, it's. It's fine. They should score, and they're playing against a team that they should beat. And uh, oh, it's great! And now we're back. Oh, we're, this is this is new, and all that can happen within a forty-five minute span, and certainly within ninety uh, span. Look, this is this was always going to be a work in progress. And for Unai Emery, I think he's going to be given plenty of time. Um, should we be patient with Arsenal? No, we should expect things quickly, but we're not always going to be given it. And this was a this was a good day for him, and it's a good day for uh, Unai Emery. Uh, one last thing on VAR, I forgot to mention it. Uh, new wrinkle in Germany this season. You know, one of the complaints about VAR has been the confusion in the stadium. The fans don't know what's going on. Right. So they're going to have like a text explanation on the scoreboard. That's smart, right? To- so, I don't know how you say smart in German, but yes, it's smart. It's very, very smart. We need more of that. The, the confusion that happens in VAR is unnecessary. There doesn't need to be this type of confusion. We, the, To the extent that they can allow not just those of us in the booth, but more importantly, people in the stadium, an understanding and a peek in as to what's being decided. That's good. That's good. That, that enhances the drama as far as I'm concerned. And that's something I think that as they go on, they're going to implement, uh, uh, implement more. But, and also, you know, the VAR situation with, with Man City uh, and that goal, if Man City is going to rely on one point here or there at the end of the season, then something has gone wrong from Man City, but something's gone right in terms of the competition out there. But people are going to go back and say, you know, if there was VAR, that goal wouldn't have counted and possibly could have gotten points here and there. And so it'll be interesting if that decides uh, the league at the end of the season. Well, and on this, the transfer window already closed in England and Italy, but it closes this week in the three other top leagues, uh, La Liga, Ligue 1, and the Bundesliga. I don't suspect there'll be any any big, big moves. PSG have had a weird summer. I mentioned this. They, they didn't do a whole lot, and I assume they were hamstrung by financial fair play, and then all of a sudden they're trying to get a bunch of stuff done here at the last minute. They made this cheeky bid for Rakitic that turns out he's going to stay. The, I guess the two things Tuchel wants are left back, which I don't know why, because they have this kid, Stanley and Saki, who's an absolute stud. Who sh- they should just start him every week there. 
And but I think they do need a holding midfield. They need like a pivot player in that midfield. I don't know if they're going to be able to get one here in the last few days. Uh, Real Madrid, Lopetegui really wants a striker. He really wants this kid, Rodrigo. Nice kid. He's uh, older, but uh, plays for Valencia. But I don't think he's going to get him. I think Florentino Perez isn't isn't too keen on spending any any money right now. I guess the one big name that's still kind of sort of floating out there is Pogba, and that's your, like, if if anything big is going to happen here that's going to get your attention, that would be it, right? I mean, that would be a massive move, not just because of the player that it involves, but what it says, what it says about Manchester United, what it says about Jose Mourinho, what it says about the market, and then what it says about uh, Paul Pogba. And this is, you know, we talked about Mbappe. You have to preface everything with World Cup winning Kylian Mbappe, well, World Cup winning Paul Pogba. And as you said, as we were recording this, that Spurs uh, United game is happening. But yeah, that would be that would be the big one if that were to happen. I, I still don't see it happen. Do you see it happen? No, I actually think the, the Rakitic thing was connected to that. Had they l- lost Rakitic to PSG and they would have gotten a lot of money from out of that deal, they might have turned around and really tried to make a big push for Pogba. But as it is, I, I don't know. What do you think I Pogba's think- worth right now? In the current market, well, they what did they buy him for? 116 million euros, I think. The the, the World Cup offset a little bit of whatever devalue had occurred right. at United, so I think it'd be about that amount right now. Okay. Um, well, I don't think it's happening. So no. Uh, so uh, all right. So that's it. That's it. That is our back three. We come to the end of our show, and as always, at the end of our show, we give you our one big thing. A couple of weeks ago, I extolled the virtues of my good friend, uh, David Mossy. Uh, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, this is the first time that I am back in the studio here, and I want to publicly acknowledge Francis and Alex. I've talked about them before. They are incredible in terms of the way that they uh, set everything up and the work that they do. And while they work on this podcast, they do so much more. And I was just talking to them before the show about the summer that they had. And, you know, we had a wonderful summer being over in Russia. But the fact is uh, that they were over here in Los Angeles working the same hours and much more when it comes to hours um, out of our Los Angeles uh, facilities here. And they worked their asses off. And it shows in terms of the production that we did. And it wasn't easy. And it's, and it's not easy. And it's not easy to be thousands and thousands of miles away to something that's going on over there. And so I want to publicly thank them, not just for the work that they do on the pod, but for the incredible work that they and so many other men and women over here did for our broadcast of, uh, of the World Cup. They are wonderful human beings. They are uh, equally as passionate as anybody that you're going to meet out there when it, comes, uh, when it comes to this game. They agree. They disagree with things that I say, that Mossy says. Uh, but ultimately, they are a huge asset, not just to this podcast, but to our company. Uh, that's our one big thing. I thought about talking a little bit more about Columbus, but I can already feel the uh, response coming from our Columbus talk. And so I wanted to end this on a much more positive note uh, and let you know that I appreciate people that love the game. I appreciate people that have a passion and an emotion for the game. And notwithstanding some of the comments that that I may make about the game being a business and about customers and all that kind of stuff, at my core, uh, I still have a passion for the game. And when I come in contact with people, especially younger people uh, that have a love for this game, uh, and certainly as it relates to the way that we broadcast and the way that we put out this game, Um, they are near and dear to my heart. So thank you so much for everything that you do. Uh, We will talk again next week on the uh, State of the Union podcast. You can find us on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook. Anything to say before we head off, David? I was honored when you did that whole bit on me a couple weeks ago, but you've now devalued it by doing it It, for Francis and Alex, too. It's like that doctor in Seinfeld.
Seinfeld that called Elaine breathtaking and called the ugly baby breathtaking too, and it kind of <laughs> took all the meaning out of it. So, well, I, I will say that uh, none of you are breathtaking. All right, that brings us to the end of the State of the Union. Thank you so much for tuning in. We will talk again next week, and as always, size the day. <laughs>